0: And be sure to share. Second City is back open for live shows, in-person classes, and customized corporate workshops and performances. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. You can go online and find out all the information you need at secondcity.com. So today for the podcast, I'm talking to Mary Gaucher. She is a Grammy-nominated American folk singer-songwriter and an author whose songs have been covered by performers including Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, um, and Jimmy Buffett uh she's won a bunch of music awards um and she has a new book which is called Saved by Song The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting um i love talking to her enjoy the pod mm-hmm. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at the Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting the Yes Hand.
1: Days can't be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid.
0: Gauthier, welcome to the show. Good to
1: be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: You tell a story that in the first year you lived in Nashville, you were invited to a party that featured a song circle with, and this list is Guy Clark, Lyle Lovett, John Hyatt, Joe Eli, Steve Earle, and Nancy Griffith. I mean, that is like unbelievable. Can you tell us what happened
1: and and the gift that you got that night? The many gifts, but the one in particular? Yeah, it's quite a song circle, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of uh, what you hope for when you move to Nashville, at least if you're our age. Yes, exactly. Um, I I imagine youngsters might not even know who these legends are. But um, I think uh, the uh, thrill for me was being invited to play a song in that song circle, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it resulted in Nancy Griffith giving me uh, her guitar which had a Mother of Pearl engravement on the 12th fret, in C G, which is her name, Nancy Claire Griffith. And she gifted it to me as a welcome to Nashville gesture and also as a, uh, a way of saying uh, this guitar has been good to me, but I think I've written all the songs it's going to give me, and maybe there's some in it for you. Here you go, kid. Good luck. Yeah, that's a Nashville tradition to do that for that's what they said or at least it was an old Nashville tradition I think new Nashville uh, is short on traditions and long mm. on uh, on cash register uh, delivery systems uh, but the old school was full of these uh, respect Respectful gestures to the mystery of of creativity, uh, and uh, sort of a nod to the to the muse who's in charge of us all. So I thought about
0: that metaphor, and I I think you can apply it to the this book. I think this is you handing down your battered guitar to all of us, and and and, and indeed to young people to sort of say like this journey hasn't been easy, but it's worth it and here, you know, here's something to hold on to.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. And now you've given me the answer when people ask me, have I given my guitar to anyone? Um, (laughs) That's the perfect answer. And yes, that is what I'm trying to do is, is here's what I've learned over the last 30 years, take it or leave it. This has been my experience as both uh, a person in recovery from addiction and a songwriter using the art form to help me not drown. Um, And so, Uh, it is a passing of a guitar, of a torch, of a, of a folk singer's life lessons.
0: There's, there's so much, there's so many rich stories that we'll get to in the book, but I I do want to dig into songwriting because that that's so um, up the alley of this podcast, which is what happens when groups of people make something out of nothing or individuals uh, do that as well. And you say, quote, I learned to write songs by writing them. Um, So and and by the way, like you were a chef? That was that was how you entered
1: this Yeah, yeah, I was I went to chef school. Uh and uh well I, first I found investors to open a small little takeout restaurant where we didn't cook. Uh, we bought and sold food, sort mm-hmm. of a middle, uh, between, you know, muffin makers and soup makers. And we bought from them and resold to mostly people who worked at Mass General in Boston. Wow. And then my partner's investors sent me to chef school and we opened a full service Cajun restaurant. All this happened in Boston in the nineties.
0: Yeah. And then, and then you, 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 I, I, you had a guitar before, but then you, you, I, I want you to talk a little bit about that process of, you have a you you explore a deep failure, you know, and, and 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 open mics where you can't even perform, and you kept going. That and that seems unbelievable. I mean, we see so many young talent here have those same struggles, uh, but but you know, you you really had a hard time
1: at the beginning. Oh my God! Yeah, stage fright feels life and death when you're in it. It is a physical. Uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual experience that is absolutely terrifying. It feels like you're going to die. And, uh, you know, I went to the stage uh, later in life. I didn't have any experience. Um, It looks so simple and easy from the audience, but you get up there and do it, especially uh, older, having had another career, Um, So I had to, you know, dust myself off, have a long talk with myself, uh, calm down, and drag myself back there over and over and over again. Sometimes I still do, uh, Mm. but mostly I've conquered it. Uh, That said... um, uh performing is a is a high risk experience there's always the possibility of things going terribly wrong that's the joy and 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 that's the beauty uh, it's also um the fear of being on stage
0: it's uh, uh, we did a project with Renee Fleming in Lyric Opera Chicago some years back and and Renee became a friend and um she actually had to stop touring for an entire year because of stage fright and I she a few years back, she sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl. So I texted <laughs> her afterwards to say like that was awesome. And she's like, Are you can I talk to you? Because I thought that was terrible. And I'm just like, Renee Fleming, you're like the most beautiful voice like ever, and and still suffers, you know, and, and so it's not it's it, it it doesn't matter how talented you are, the, the humanity is there, which is p- probably why artists like yourself and her are create such incredible connection with communities of people.
1: Yeah. Because I think we're genuinely vulnerable, yeah. which means we're, we're afraid, but we're doing it anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting too, is you write in the book, quote, the more specific you get, the more universal the song becomes. I know that people are going to think that's backwards, but we know it isn't in our work as well. Things aren't funny when they're vague. Um, and things that certainly aren't true when they're vague. So you look for these highly specific personal details as a way to make something open up to everyone, right?
1: Absolutely, and that's what I, I teach when I work with songwriters: is get specific, and 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 get deeply, deeply personal. I think songs are a place to tell your secrets, uh, mm-hmm. and and I think that the deeper we can go, the more we're going to connect with people. Um, this is the proper place to do this. And I think if nothing is revealed as you write, um, then, then if you don't surprise yourself writing it, then, then it's not going to be that interesting to the listener either. Um, and, and so I encourage songwriters to, to get more and more and more afraid of what they're writing because that's where the vein of gold is, as Julia Cameron would say, mm. the great uh, artist way writer. Um, and and it, it's it's you know it, it, it's universal because we're all made of the same hopes, dreams, fears, um, uh, and longings. And so to reveal yourself, Uh, in a song in those categories is to show the listeners who they are too. We're we're all built of that same stuff at the core. The other thing you talk about
0: is reduction, right? This idea that also when you compress uh, and and you're putting this sort of like lovely weight on the fewer words that are there, um, which is something that that we know. I I think Shakespeare said brevity is the soul of wit. I mean, (laughs) I, I think that that's actually a, a, another uh, lesson that young songwriters probably don't
1: know. Yeah, that there's a whole chapter called Reduction, um, mm-hmm. and I think I'll lead with it. Uh, that and my stunning uh, fall from grace as I was arrested for drunk driving, but then got sober, uh, which led to the whole story of the book. But yeah, I honestly um, uh, go around a song a thousand times and make sure every single word has to be there. If I can get a word out, it's out. Uh, don't need adverbs. Don't need a lot of adjectives. Certainly don't have room for a lot of flowery language. Um, every time you take a word out, the words that remain become more powerful. Um, songs, songs, and music are a dearly, deeply compressed art form. Uh, you got three and a half minutes to do what it takes a novelist six hundred pages to do. You got no time for. Uh, hemming and hawing and surface-level cocktail party conversation. you got to get to the heart of it, and you got to get there quickly. And it's done often best through story. Um, And uh, story uh, is told uh, best uh, when it's told with less words rather than more. So uh,
0: I don't know if you know, Second City is located on Wells Street in Chicago, right across from what used to be the Earl of Old Town. Um, And my dad was a um, uh, longtime uh, radio guy here and built up a relationship with John Prine over the years. So I saw Prine in concert a dozen times. And and I mean, you know, what is there to say about that genius? Except I I, I do want you to talk a little bit about that moment when you heard Sam Stone, uh, because that relates to this 1990 getting caught drunk driving, and then your, you know, how you move into the space of that eventually becomes a recovery.
1: Yeah, John, um, before I knew him, before I wrote songs, before um, um, I became an artist, John um, put out this record, Sitting on a Hay Bale, uh, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most classic of all classic records. Uh, And on that record were masterpieces, timeless masterpieces. uh, And as a young uh, person, uh, I felt it. I saw John in the, I think, early 80s at LSU uh, when I was in college there. He played the small student union. Mm-hmm. I saw John dozens of times before I opened for him, and before I became a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the song Stan, Sam Stone really jumped out at me uh, because I'm of the age where I knew veterans coming back from Vietnam. Um, they were older than me, but I knew them. They drank at the same biker bar that I drank at. And mm-hmm. so Sam Stone became the song I would play in the parking lot of the biker bar in Baton Rouge because that's what they wanted to hear. And it taught me everything I needed to know about songwriting. It also taught me everything I needed to know about songwriting with veterans. I didn't even have any idea I was going to be a songwriter, much less later in my career be paired with wounded veterans to help them articulate their story through song. But Sam Stone, has it's the instruction manual on how to do all of this. It's one of the greatest uh, anti-war songs ever written, and it doesn't say anything anti-war. It just tells what happened to a wounded veteran?
0: Yeah, that opening line. There's a hole in Daddy's arm where all the money goes. Yeah. Just, I can't,
1: I can't, like it does
0: not get any better than that. That talk about specific and sparse and reductive. I mean, that is they. That's yeah, that's amazing. So let's talk about the the work you did do with veterans because that that's very powerful and. Um, and that started. That started what, like 2013? Is that when you got
1: something started? like that? Yeah, okay. I've I've been at it for about eight years, seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what what I do is r- bear witness to to uh, to to stories told to me by wounded veterans through a program called Songwriting with Soldiers, uh, and turn their story into song. Uh, there there is a, a number of retreat centers that we work at around the country. Uh, Usually three songwriters, professional songwriters, masters songwriters, uh, and six veterans. Uh, And every veteran that comes gets their own song. Um, That is a reflection of their life experience, their story, the one that needs to be told. And Mm -hmm. um, God, I love the program. I put a record out of songs uh, that I wrote over the years with vets. I think it contains 11 songs, uh, and it got nominated uh, for the 2019 Grammys in the folk category.
0: Yeah, and you got to play one of those songs at the Grand Old Opry.
1: I did. I got to play it with one of my co-writer veterans, who's a harmonica player, at the 90th anniversary of the Grand Old Opry wow. at the Ryman, which yeah. is awesome—the historic place that uh, where the Opry began.
0: Uh, we work uh, with behavioral scientists, uh, sort of in a program that looks at improvisation and, and, the, and the evidence of human behavior. Um, and there's some very interesting studies that show that. You know, I think mo- many of us think people want to see- be seen as their best selves, their smartest selves, that sort of thing. But interestingly, people want to be seen as they see themselves. That's the thing that scratches the itch, which I think is where the music gets at. You know, it's, it, it isn't certain. The great music, the great songs are ones that get that layer deeper in terms of what's really going on in there. That you And, and, and it feels like those, when you tell the stories uh, and the process of writing with these veterans, I mean, the, there's, it's a process, but then they get there, and then, and then they open up to you. It feels like that's a, a place now where they can, you can cry, you can hug, and whereas before that one vet you talked about was really walled off and had to be sort of co- coaxed by the music.
1: Yeah, the music becomes uh, a bit of a magnet to pull the story out. When I start playing the melody that matches what they feel, they are seen. They don't just feel seen. They are seen. Yeah. And that is profound for someone who carries trauma because you feel so unseen. That's the nature of trauma, that what's happened to you is ineffable. There are no words. And so you can't tell somebody how you're doing because you can't find the words because there are no words. And then the music comes in and sees you. Um, it is it is a powerful, powerful moment. And um, uh, it, it can become a confessional Uh, In these co-writes, the veterans many, many times say, my wife doesn't even know this about me, but I'm going to tell you and I don't even know why. Of course, I know why, because I'm I'm playing how they feel. You know, I often work with my songwriters in the workshops that I teach and tell them music is what feelings sound like.
0: you also shared trauma. I mean, and that that's and that's not a I mean, that's you. You know, you were adopted, um, had sort of a screwed up, you know. Adoptive parents. Um, You're a queer kid growing up in the South. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there that that led to that. And then even and then discovering later in life when you have a series of relationships that don't work, that you you go to that story of you going to New Mexico to meet a woman who gives you a book recommendation. That that's a
1: you could have done that over the phone, I think. You know, desperation. You get on a plane, go meet her. Um, Uh, Talk about that, uh, the book, and where it led you. Well, you know, uh, somebody, a guitar player told me that she knew a New Mexican healing woman who worked with Bob Dylan during his divorce with Sarah, the mother of his children. (laughs) And uh, she would meet with me. And so I was in so much pain, I'd have walked naked down I-35 if they said it would help. Um, So I got on a plane and went and met her. Uh, And I talked for just a few minutes, and she summed it up and sent me to Barnes & Nobles and told me to get a book called The Sociopath Next Door. Mm -hmm. I got the book and uh, read it on the plane home, uh, started it on the plane home, and boom, I was in relationships with a series of sociopaths. Mm -hmm. And it happened because of my woundedness. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to keep myself safe. Uh, I didn't know safety, and I and danger was familiar. So it was the beginning of understanding what I was doing to draw this pain into my life. She really helped me. The book really helped me. It was written by a Harvard uh, psychiatrist uh, educator who teaches. Uh, up-and-coming uh, psychologist, psychiatrist at Harvard University. And it, it was it's still a bestseller because it's real good. It explains sociopathy. and explains what to do if you find yourself in a relationship with one. Basically, the message, I'll give away the secret. Run! <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: well, and there's a second book that also took this, took this farther for you, which was Nancy Verrier's The Primal Sound, Understanding the Adopted Child.
1: Yeah, and the that primal, like primal wound. wound. Yeah. 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 Verrier wrote a thesis for her uh, PhD uh, called The Primal Wound and then expanded it into a book that still explains adoptees to themselves. Uh, we experienced a primal wound. We were separated from our family. Um, and even though we got a new family, that separation mm-hmm. uh, l- left uh, a deep trauma. Yeah. Yeah, and pretending like it didn't doesn't make it go away.
0: No, and you had to, and you had to explore that. Um, I had
1: to explore it. And did you? Uh, you said you were friends with Bessel van der Kork? That, Yeah, that- Bessel's a good friend of mine. He's a, a trauma expert. He's had a bestseller forever on Amazon called "The Body Keeps the Score." Yeah, I've worked with him as uh, a client, a friend, and then I've taught with him at retreat centers. Uh, he's worked with a lot of. Uh, And still does uh, with a lot of people in the healing professions. And I've worked with him through songwriting with soldiers um, uh, and also uh, writing songs with some of his, uh, uh, his, I don't know what you'd call participants in his workshop uh, who carry a a heavy trauma load. Yeah, Bessel's a good friend and I, I really, really like where he's coming from.
0: Yeah, we. Um, I became familiar with his work. My, my wife and I, we lost our 17 year old daughter to cancer two years ago.
1: Oh God, and I'm so sorry.
0: It, yeah, and, and you know, and this, there's trauma, and and I did not. Oh know God, it. yeah, not know about it, and so someone sent me that book. And and actually, there's a section at the end that talks about work he's done with improvisers, where, where that, you know, because you can find joy in improv, you find connection, which is hugely important in this book and true, true of the human condition. Um, and, and that essence of how, you know, you can kind of work on healing your mind, but if it's not also in your body, and there's so much in the, your book about that, of like needing to get this thing Deep and that's the work that we've been doing. And you know, it's like my wife just tried grief yoga for the first time, which she really enjoyed and thought it was like a, a, a good process. It's interesting because he there's a quote you you quote him in the book where he says, quote, the opposite of trauma is communication.
1: Isn't that beautiful?
0: It's beautiful. And it's 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 what you're it's what you're saying. Yes, the, the, the well of this stuff is is sad, but it's also connected to other people. And then when you can show up for other people who are in pain, that's a gift. And that's 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 the work you've been able to do.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the 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 hope and the goal of healing mm-hmm. is to is to reconnect yourself to yourself. I mean, Bessel explained it perfectly that uh, that healing around trauma becomes you know what you know, you see what you see, you feel what you feel, and you don't need to have a vote taken as to who you are. You got that. You know what you know. You see what you see. You feel what you feel. Deeply traumatized people have tr- struggled with that, knowing what we know, seeing what we see, feeling what we feel. Once you're able to, to, um, to, to know what you know, see what you see, feel what you feel, the, the, the goal then becomes to help those who are struggling with those things, who have dealt with or, or have been dealt uh, terrible trauma. trauma. Trauma messes us up a lot. And I think that, it, you know, Bessel says it's the root cause of what's wrong today. Oh, I
0: I believe that. I mean, the, the, I, uh, I, if something like what happened to my wife Hannah and I happened when I was in my twenties, I I don't know uh, that I would have, the the gift of it happening in my fifties when I've got large community and, you know, a a certain sort of, you know um, I've gone through my shit, you know? And so again, not easy, but, uh, uh, you know we're still standing the worst thing happened to me in the world and i'm still standing so that that's that's you know a, a way to move forward i want to i want to talk a bit about healing there's a, a longish passage but i think it's really beautiful um and i and i want to read it from the book you say quote the road home is paved in human connection and it happens in small and safe communities where you know you are not alone turns out this is what songs do best they show our insides on the outside reveal secrets and demonstrate that we humans are more or less all in the same boat being witnessed in all our vulnerability locks in a new connection to self and others.
1: Wow, you nailed that. I have great teachers. I have great teachers. Um, Yes, and once we are connected to each other, um, it's still hard, but it's not impossible. W- what's impossible is the hopelessness of utter disconnection.
0: Hmm. We
1: need each other. We are like schools of fish or herds of deer. We need each other. We don't want to need each other. Especially as Americans, we believe in the great individual, rugged individualism. Uh, Into that myth, we all dive at our own peril. We do need each other. We need each other in a primal, uh, deeply embedded way that we can't extricate. You know, if we try to change that, we turn into Ted Kaczynski. We go crazy. We need each other. And so reconnecting is the point. And I think the arts are where we can find each other.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard right now, right? Because, you know, I'm sure we share a a similar political uh, agenda. Um, And this country, I, I, I see this happening on both sides, where people don't want to come together to try to solve anything together and and but but I, I, at the end of the day we can't do this
1: alone it's we can't and one of the great things my experience working with songwriting with soldiers is politics is off the table right we go through a whole retreat and never talk about politics we don't talk about beliefs beliefs are useless when you're dying from uh war trauma when right. you have PTSD and you can't breathe at night, when you can't catch your breath, when when a balloon pops and you hit the deck and start screaming, well, who cares what you believe? So beliefs are off the table. What we talk about is story and feelings, and that's where we can find each other. As soon as we go into beliefs, we're going to argue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, can you talk us
0: through one of your songs, and it's probably your most famous song, which is Mercy Now, Um and Rolling Stone named it one of the top twenty saddest songs of all time, but you don't think it's really sad, right?
1: I don't think it's sad at all. I think it's real. Yeah. I think we live in an escapist culture that uh equates real uh with happy. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and sad is is uh, is is to be avoided. Um I I think uh it's real important to, to be authentic and vulnerable and write truth. So there's a struggle in the song, but the song is not fundamentally sad. It is fundamentally true. And uh, there's hope. There's so much hope in that song. Um, and uh, if it makes people cry, and it does, that doesn't mean uh, that there's no hope or that there's um, uh, something about it that is to be avoided. Uh, it just opens up the heart chakra because it, yes. it, it's a recitation of our, all of our vulnerability.
0: Yeah, and it started with your dad and then spun out from there, right? Yeah. Up in, you know, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I think the big idea behind the song is that if we demand justice, um, we have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Because certainly as an addict and an alcoholic, if I were given what I truly deserved based on many of the behaviors I've exhibited, I'd be dead. Yeah. I've been given mercy, mercy and grace. And that makes you think twice when you scream uh, for less than that for other people.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I was also curious, you did uh, EMDR therapy. When- I did. EMDR really helped me. Yeah, talk about that, because that that, that this is a thing, and, and I don't think people know about it.
1: Yeah, EMDR was developed, I think, by the military, yes. um, and uh, it is uh, impossible to explain. They send little pings into your ears through uh, 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 ear- headphones. It's done a couple of ways, mm-hmm. but basically it's a way of working through trauma without having to talk about your trauma. Yes. It's done uh, through sound,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and then you... Uh, the way I did it was to talk some about my dad and, and had me visualize a uh, reunion with my dad who's passed, who's passed on. Uh, and, and, and there's some visualization going on. But EMDR really was helpful to me and I used it uh, quite a bit to some success when I was in that treatment center.
0: Hmm. All right, in a moment, I'm going to ask you for your yes-hand story, which is how we always end the podcast. But before we do that, I'm curious, did you ever second-guess telling these stories out loud, or was this always just the path that it was going to go and you were going to share it all?
1: No, I mean, I didn't know these all. I I wanted to write an interesting book, Mm -hmm. and I knew that uh, I I had to have a through line. And so if I'm going to call a book saved by a song, I I need to qualify what I'm being saved from. Uh, And so the, the story ends up you're saved from yourself. Congratulations. Uh, I have so many self-destructive impulses, and I have done so many things ass-backwards in my life. Uh, I I really uh, didn't intend to tell the story of it all the way it ended up, but that's the best way to tell it. Uh, and if you listen to my music, it's all there anyway. I mean, you, if you listen to the songs up until most recently, every one of them is about how hard love is and how I fail over and over again. So mm-hmm. inevitably, that person who writes those songs probably has a problem with codependency and love and sex addiction, and I do. And I dealt with it through the help of others and therapy and a treatment center. I stayed single five years, and, and now I'm in a relationship that works. I did the work. Mm. So I think the story is sort of, here's the story, here's the work, and here's the result. So I'm not ashamed of my story, and I don't feel uh, as though I need to, to hide behind behind sort of niceties. Uh, if my story can be helpful to others, that's the hope, is that it, it's helpful to others, rather than just exhibitionism.
0: Right, right, right. No, and that, that definitely comes through. All right, so we always have a podcast asking for a Yes and story and we were talking about this before about how human beings tend to say no or or, or just don't do anything I, I know the whole book is a yes and story as I have mentioned to you before But do you have anything that you want to share that's that's akin to that?
1: Yeah, one of the crazy, Yes and craziest yes ands of my life that led to To um a deep deep healing for me Was I played a show in new orleans at the ogden museum of southern art after katrina mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very well received Uh, and I had a wonderful experience, and the museum director took me to lunch the next day. And for some reason on stage, I said, you know, I was adopted from New Orleans. I I spent the first year of my life at a place here called St. Vincent's. Mm -hmm. But I never, ever thought of St. Vincent's as an actual place. It was a story told to me as a child, kind of like Pinocchio or something, Bambi or, I don't know, Donald Duck. It wasn't a place, In my mind, even though I was an adult, it never occurred to me that it was a place that existed. Um, I said that because I was giving uh, the audience um, sort of uh, uh, credentials that I am from New Orleans. Well, the museum director was bringing me to lunch, and she said, Hey, Mary, St. Vincent's is right up the street across from where we're going to lunch. You want to see it? And it was like, ah, oh, my God, my stomach lurched. Uh, and everything in me wanted to say, I don't think so. But I just kind of nodded, okay. Uh, And we pulled up, uh, and it was a run-down rooming house, but you could see that it was a mighty Catholic institution at one point. Uh, And as we walked up those stairs, it hit me that that was the stairs my pregnant mother walked up uh, with me inside her. And that was the stairs she walked down without me and I never saw her again. It was chilling, uh, it was terrifying, and it was important because it led me to the road to start to ask about my story, which helped fill in the gaps. Uh, I had trouble at night. I was falling through space every night, like falling through space, falling through space, untethered, just free-falling. It was terrifying. It's because I didn't have roots. My tree didn't have roots Mm -hmm. And it began the root-growing process when I said yes to to going into that haunted place.
0: I love it. The book is called Saved by Song, The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting. Mary Gauthier, thank you for coming
1: on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Kelly. And I'm so sorry about the loss of your daughter.
0: Thank you, Mary. Getting the S.A.N. is produced by Second City Works and WGN Radio. Our editor and producer is L.F. Garris. We get support at the Second City from Jenny Crowley, Abby Bumbledare, Mike Farinaccio, and Colleen Fahey. The music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you have questions, guest ideas, or if you want more information on working with Second City Works, you can go to www.secondcityworks.com, or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com.